What's up, Gaucho fans? This is the 2023 season preview podcast here on the Gaucho 9 Pod. We have an action-packed podcast for you today. A couple hours, I think, is what this one wound up being. But uh, we have head coach Andrew Checkets leading things off. We talked about the schedule, the upcoming season, of course, uh, some transfer portal stuff, and a lot about uh, the players. Uh, tried to get a, a lineup out of them, so see if we can get a lineup out of them. But uh, he leads off, and then we talked to a couple veteran pitchers, Carter Benbrook and Alex Schreier, and uh, we had some fun with those guys. A uh, couple of fourth-year pitchers and uh, bouncing back from an injury, so uh, good stuff with those two. All right, this is the season preview podcast, and it is brought to you by our great friends at Kyle's Kitchen. Check them out at any of the locations in Santa Barbara or Goleta. They have great burgers, great fries, adult beverages, and just uh, great people all around. All right, with no further to do, this is the season preview podcast for 2023. Let's get to it. It's one of the most beautiful views of any campus in America, the Pacific Ocean crashing against the shores of UC Santa Barbara every morning, noon, and night. Here's the one-strike pitching. Mitchell belts this to deep left. Cabrera is going to watch it fly. And Curley pulls back a home run, and the Gauchos are going to win the game. Gauchos are going to Omaha. Can you believe it? Borgonio is back. He's going to turn and watch this one fly. A two-run homer for Clausen. And the score is due. Here comes Mitchell. He's going to score. Willits will make the catch. And the Gauchos are 2022 Big West champions. Okay, it's the uh, it's the moment we've all been waiting for. All the fans want this. All the uh, All the alumni want this. Everybody's been harping. When's the season preview pod coming out? When's the season preview pod coming out? Well, here it is. And we got... Head coach Andrew Checkets joining us. Uh, Checks, let's before we dive into some of the stuff about the uh, upcoming season schedule, predictions, accolades, all that stuff. Uh, let's talk about alumni weekend because it was an absolute blast, as it usually is. Um, and there were some notable things that happened. And uh, you want to kick it off with some alumni weekend recap? Uh, it was cool to see the nineteen eighty three team there. Yeah, very, very cool. I mean, they had, I think, 80% of their team there. So smaller rosters back then, but uh, I think they had 18 of their 25 players and uh, most of their coaches there. So, yeah, it was that was really cool to see them there. Yokobitis threw out the first pitch and threw a nice fading little sinker there. He went from the top of the mound as well, straight from the rubber and threw a strike. So started the week off, weekend off right. Um Great turnout. So I think we had 120 people at the golf tournament and, you know, a lot of guys in the dugout. Um, so we had, I think, majority of the guys starting for the alumni team were current professionals. So that was that was fun to see. And, um, you know, proud moment for me was at the end. I think the last, the team, the alumni team that was out there at the end, every guy that was on the field that either, you know, won a conference championship or played in the College World Series um when the game ended that that was pretty cool to see definitely cool um you almost threw a no hitter i think we did i think we did that was one there's one hit on the board yeah you were doing the board at that point right i i I wasn't doing the board board? i wasn't the official scorekeeper 
but I was up there and I am an alum. So you are an alum. Yeah. I figured yeah. you were pulling for the alumni team. Infield, infield single by uh, Cole Mueller broke it up in the, might've been the seventh inning, I think. Yeah. Which was, mean, uh, it was a seven inning game. Where, you mean the one where he was going to be out by 20 steps and Kurtley threw it in the dugout and then mm-hmm. the, the alumni chanted for a hit. And Cole's a burner. Hit. Cole's a burner. Come on. <laughs> he did look good. I mean, he did, he did look like he was in good shape and, um, but I think he was out by 20 feet. So, well, I think uh, the that was yeah, a highlight. That was a highlight. And I think the the alumni had the other highlight of the day was the uh, the backhand stab by Castellano at third. Yes, uh, in the first inning, that was pretty cool. Yeah, he didn't hold out on us. So, <laughs> <laughs> but you, you, I didn't even think about that uh, in the last inning. Everybody on the field either played in the World Series or won a conference championship. Um, it's like JJ was out there. You had, you had Tommy Jew out there. Uh, you had Clark, was, Ryan Clark, was out Ryan there. Clark, Nick Vote, you had Eric Yang. Like it was great. So, but the pitching, like Greg Malley is the best you can get to start the game from the from the alumni side. Like we need to get some uh, some of those big names to come down and pitch. I know they don't, don't assault Greg like that. He's still ready to go. He's, I mean, he'd go CG. He so. was, I, I, I didn't know he was going to be there. And I'm, I'm walking over the cage and I hear the bang, bang, right? Of the balls against the, the, uh, the med balls against the rubber mats. And it's Greg Malley, full uniform, dripping sweat, like, hey, Greg, what's going on? I didn't know you were pitching. He's like, yeah, I'm here. I just, I'm getting hot. And it was just great. He's still playing in Mexico. So um, at least he did last year. He played last year. So he's he's in shape. He's ready to go. He he carved us for two innings. I think we got one infield hit. First uh, first two pitches, two pitches, two outs Yeah, in the first inning. Efficiency. Yeah. We actually got to him. At, I don't know when it was, maybe pre-COVID. When he was still with the Angels, and we we got we got to him a little bit, so he redeemed himself. <laughs> what about uh? So the golf tournament, it was uh, it was great. Uh, I had to fill in. I had some fill some big shoes. Uh, I filled in for Bill Guyvet, who uh, who couldn't make it for Alumni Weekend, but he did. He was here uh, this past weekend, um, hanging out with uh, with his friends. So we did miss Guyvet uh, for the Alumni Weekend, but uh, it was fun to play with JD and Mike and Casey Gorman. So uh, we were an elite group, uh, some volleyball players, ex-volleyball players, Hall of Famers, uh, and myself. But um, it was cool to see the team uh, at the dinner afterwards uh, wearing their jerseys uh, and intermixing with the alumni. So that was a nice little touch. Yeah, yeah it was nice to have them out there. Nice to get back to some normalcy, you know, the last couple of years of the pandemic, being pretty cautious. Um but nice to nice to get guys back out there and have mingle with the with the older guys. And so nice nice turnout. It's been a good tradition and fun to see. All right, let's move on. Great alumni weekends. Uh, looking forward to doing it again next year. So first, let's go over some of the accolades that the Gouges have uh, accumulated over the last couple of years. Uh, of course, reigning Big West champs. Uh, champions two of the last four years, three years with COVID. It's so weird talking about that 2020 year because like you want to say two of the last three, but it's really two of the last four, but technicality. But 
40 wins in three of the last, the last three, four three. seasons and uh, and two Big West titles, 19 and 2022. So the Gauchos are coming into this year as the reigning champs. Highest win percentage on the West Coast in that span between 19 and 22 at 753. That's higher than UCLA, Stanford, Oregon State, Arizona, UCI, uh, University of San Diego, and Cal Baptist, who have all those teams have been really good. Um, the last few years, and Gauchos have the highest win percentage amongst those. And D1 Baseball in the offseason uh, named UCSB the 34th best program in Division One, And they've they've been doing that the last couple of years, and Gauchos have moved up each of the last three years, um, which, is, which is great. And things like conference championships, getting big leaguers in there, and just overall success uh, attributes to that. And Gauchos did have a major league debut in the summer with Noah Davis. It was the last day of the season, but still a major league debut. Shane Bieber won a gold glove, had an outstanding year with the Guardians. And then uh, Gauchos now have a manager um, in Skip Schumacher. But anything you want to touch on, on on those things? What about the D1 baseball, the 34th best program? We haven't really talked about that yet. I know you, you don't like tooting your horn too much, but you're just kind of like, yep. Yeah, I don't, I don't ride it. Um... So yeah, there's part of me that goes, yeah, that's that's great, and then there's part of me that goes, ah, that seems low. <laughs> right, right. Um, so I, you know, I, when they have written those, they've traditionally kind of hammered us on our infrastructure and facilities as something that's held us back um, in some of those rankings. So um, I've got work to do on that end to continue to improve the facilities, and um, I think we've got all the other things that that allow us to be a, you know, consistent top 25 team with academics, location, <clears throat> weather, um, you know, proximity to good players. And uh, so, yeah, I think, uh, I think seeing the 34s, you know, motivating to continue to try and, you know, the two things that you and I are in control of in terms of the facility and try and continue to, improve the the facility part of it and the infrastructure part of it climb the ladder there's always room to grow yeah i think that's what they consider the hole in our game um right now so we're we're actively working on that yes we are good things to come so 2022 uh team stats you know the guys they finished 27 and 3 in the conference really ran away with it uh led the big west in home runs set a new school record 78 home runs. Uh, they were first in runs scored, triples, RBIs, total bases, slugging walks on base percentage, stolen bases, and saves. And they were second or third uh, in ERA, strikeouts, batting average against, and uh, offensive batting average. Uh, Brock Mortensen, second year in a row, leading the Big West in home runs. He had 16 last year. And now that he's back, this little, since he came back, we talked about that earlier, Nice to have him in the lineup. Uh, so he's got 31 career home runs. He needs 12 to break the career school record, 42, which was set by Matt Wilkerson back in 05, 02 to 05. So that'll be something to watch, at least on my end. Where's um, Austin Bush at on that list? Is he? It's uh, he had the he has the single season record with 20, but he only has like 30 uh, in his career, something like that. Um, okay. so I think yeah, he had the big year. Hit the hit the twentieth um, in Hawaii. That was fun. Uh, but as far as career 
uh, home runs go. It's Wilkerson, 42, and then uh, Mortensen. So he's got a chance this year for sure. Uh, but Sprinkle led the Big West in stolen bases last year, 25. Mikey Gutierrez was first in wins with 10, and Ryan Harvey was first in saves with 11. So Gouches have been doing big things, and there have been lots of success on the field, lots of success off the field um, as well. And then six draft picks last year, I believe, and they all signed. Talking about like Vote, Clausen, Willits, Corey Lewis, Ryan Harvey, um, and and Jordan Sprinkle. So more draft picks, more success, um, and we're getting ready for what feels like could be another great year, 2023. So let's dive into the schedule, 55-game regular season schedule. What happened to the 56th? I think it was like a Tuesday game that had to be scratched. It's not yeah, that important, but yeah, we had a home and home in St. Mary's and they had an issue with the return game. So we just, we kept the game up at their place. We're going up there for spring break and then heading over to Fresno. We'll just stay up there. Like we did the same thing last year. We That's right. We went up and then stayed and played at Davis. Um, so we We'll still go up there. They'll come back and just we'll play one next year at our place for the return trip. But we couldn't we couldn't find a date that worked there. We actually can play up to fifty nine games because we go to Hawaii. But right, you know, on the quarter system, it's a lot. Um, it's a lot of games to to mix in. It's hard. Yeah, yeah an extra three. Yeah, yeah. we can't. We, yeah, we can't play a midweek during the finals during finals week. Um, we have you know, shortened week with the Thanksgiving week where we play Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then a shortened week at the end of the year, we play Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and I try not to schedule midweek games. The East, uh, Easter, Easter week. Yeah. What did I, what did I say? Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. We don't play during Thanksgiving. <laughs> we don't play during Thanksgiving. Thank God. <laughs> we don't. We don't. Yeah. Sorry about that. I was thinking about the fall game, I guess. Um, so yeah, we, it's hard to squeeze those, Tuesday games and I think one of the things you know when we we came out of the pandemic and we played those four game weekends um you know every weekend in the big west I just you know you recognize how hard that is on a pitching staff um the the pressure puts on the bullpen and that many games so I'm really really hesitant to play five games in a week um you know we have you know we do play four games against Oregon um but I, 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 and potentially we have a couple of cold weather schools coming in with Xavier and Seton Hall that um, if they lost a game early, you know, we would try and add a fourth game if it, if it made sense. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a little more hesitant to just cram games in there and put that pressure on those arms. So we've got a young group this year too. So we're at 55, it may turn into more. Um, if we can, uh, you know, maybe add an extra game here or there, but there's just not a lot of a lot of places that make sense for it. So here's the schedule breakdown: uh, 29 home games, and then 22 on the road, and four neutral site games. Uh, we face two Pac-12 opponents, one Big Ten, two from the Mountain West, three from the WCC, that's the West Coast Conference, one from the WAC, and uh, two regional teams from last year in Oregon and Oregon State. 
the home opener, of course, February 24th against the Oregon Ducks, the season opener this week. We're recording this uh, week ahead of time, but this week, not when people listen to it, uh, Friday, February 17th against Minnesota in Arizona. We'll get to that in a moment. Um, let's see. Yeah, so o- home opener, February 24th at Caesar Wasaga Stadium. Make sure you are there. Uh, midweeks, four different midweek opponents, Pepperdine, St. Mary's, LMU, and Kyle Baptist. And then the usual slate uh, amongst the Big West, where you play all 10 teams, three games each. Uh, let's go to the – so the first weekend, it's at the Sanderson Ford College Baseball Classic in Surprise, Arizona. Gauchos will play four games, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. The first three are at 5 o'clock, Friday through Sunday, and then it's a noon start. Noon start uh, – is it noon in Arizona or because it's an hour ahead of time, or is it noon in – here in California, uh, I believe that's the first one uh, noon there. So eleven o'clock here. Yeah, eleven o'clock here uh, on Monday. But I go air. I would go Minnesota Friday, New Mexico Saturday, Minnesota Sunday again, and then Oregon State on Monday afternoon. So can you give us a little breakdown on how the Gauchos wound up in the Sanderson Ford College Baseball Classic? I think it had, it had to do with uh, an Oregon State series um, and, and some scheduling stuff. But it's it's cool. To, I The Gauchos don't really go to these uh, traditionally. You know, we had once the Tony Gwynn Classic in 16 where we played Kentucky, Bryant, uh, and San Diego, I believe, um, in those three games. And it's, it's as a broadcaster and as someone who doesn't have to do scouting reports um, and watch film and all this stuff and, like, gather a scouting report for three different teams or four different teams for one weekend. Um, it's fun to go to these things and see a bunch of different teams. Uh, but we haven't traditionally, at least in your uh, tenure here, we haven't really done that very often. So how do the Gauchos wind up in Arizona? Yeah, it was a home and home where we played Oregon state and had it scheduled um, with the old coaching staff. So when coach Casey was, who was my, my head coach when I played there and then, Coach Bailey, who was running their scheduling, who was actually my high school coach. Um, so we had had we had had it scheduled where we were going to do a series at their place and a series at our place. And I think somewhere along the staff transition, um, there was some lost in translation with some of the dates and some of that stuff. So um, anyways, this is our return trip from Oregon State. <laughs> we took what we could get at that point. And, um, from 2020. Yeah. Yeah, we went there in 2020. Yeah, so they're they're hosting the tournament, and you know we got a little we got a little help in terms of some guarantee stuff to get out there. Um, and so yeah, that's how we that's how we ended up with the that tournament. Yeah, so surprise, it's in the Phoenix area. It's about an hour, I think, outside of Phoenix. Uh, spring training, home of the Kansas City Royals and the Texas Rangers, will be playing at Surprise Stadium which is a, a nice facility. I'm, I'm digging into my memory bank because I'm pretty sure that when I was in high school, I played at one of the junior Olympic tournaments in the summer down there. And I believe we played in surprise. It was Royals Rangers. And I think the Mariners are there too. Um, and if you've never been there, it's just, it's flat. It's just a, a bunch of pristine 
natural grass baseball fields um, down there. So that'll be uh, fun for the boys to get out there and play um, on some, some real high quality uh, surfaces um, before we come back home, uh, which kicks off the five weeks in a row of home games. I think there's one midweek mixed in there, but uh, Gauchos start their season off at home February 24th against Oregon. Then we will host Xavier for three. Hang on, one one sec. Host Xavier for three, then midweek at home against Pepperdine, and then Seton Hall for three, followed by uh, the Big West openers against Bakersfield, um, and then CSUN with a midweek against LMU mixed in there. But um, some early tests for for the Gauchos this year because Oregon State and Oregon, both regional teams last year, that Oregon series – Last year in Eugene was it was fun. It was challenging. It was kind of a a coming out party for some of the younger gauchos. And like in twenty twenty one, in which the the Ducks swept the gauchos at home um, at Caesar Wasaga Stadium, where the gauchos had leads late, and and Oregon came back and wound up sweeping the gauchos. It felt like it was going to start out that way or go that path again after Oregon came back in the ninth and won on a walk-off on Friday. But Gaucho showed some resiliency um, and won the last two games. Um, after Oregon won the first two, they won the short and seven-inning game. So there's been some some history, recent history, between the Ducks and the Gauchos, um, which has been fun to watch. Uh, but four-game series with a seven-inning game and then a nine-inning game on Saturday. But – uh, some early tests early on against some uh, Power Five conference schools uh, in February. Yeah, yeah, it'll be a good challenge. We had, like I said, we've got a young group, and um, we've had a you know a standing series with Oregon for like this be four straight years. Mm-hmm. This four straight, or the next year? I think it's I think it's three, and then there's going to be another one next year. Pretty sure. Four. So we we like playing, and we've got a good program and good coaches, and they're competitive. And it helps get us ready. It'll be a challenge. So, um, but yeah, I thought that series last year was a turning point for the team to be able to bounce back after going zero and two and looking like we were we were going to be upside down. Um, be able to come back and and, and play well. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a it's a challenging slate early. Um, you know, we've got we've got a, a group that we think's up to the challenge, um, but it's going to be it's going to be competitive. and We'll get tested early. And then of course, Xavier, Gouchers haven't faced Xavier since they eliminated them and won the Nashville Regional in 2016, the Musketeers out of the Big East. Um, and Seton Hall, uh, I don't know much about Seton Hall. They are uh, they're in the Big East. Wait, did I say that right? Xavier. Yeah, they're both in the Big East. Yeah, both, both in the Big East. Uh, I'm used to seeing Xavier and Seton Hall uh, as basketball schools. Um, but yeah, Seton Hall, the Pirates out of the Big East, uh, New Jersey. Um, uh, Jerry Fall might be psyched that we're playing Seton Hall because uh, uh, he's originally from Jersey. Uh, but those are the first two weekends of March. There's a Tuesday game against Pepperdine on the 7th. Um, then the Gauchos go on the road against LMU. But lots of opportunities to see the Gauchos play. We pretty much play at home the entire month. Um, of March kickoff 
the Big West season at home against Bakersfield, March 17th. And then after that, it's CSUN. And going through my notes um, and, and looking at these teams, lots of former Gauchos and Gaucho coaches uh, scattered amongst the Big West. So we'll see Quinn Hawksworth and David Tillotson with Bakersfield. And then uh, Coach Corneo, Eddie Corneo, the new head coach uh, at CSUN. So there'll be lots of uh, friends uh, to catch up with uh, the first two weeks of the Big West Conference season. So, but shout out Eddie Corneo, new head coach at CSUN. Yeah. Pretty cool. And we got Neil at uh, CSUN. I'm sorry, Fullerton and Fullerton. then Harv down at UC San Diego. So, yeah, Matt Harvey, Ryan Bob at UCSD, and then, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, Matt Fontino, uh, associate head coach at Cal Poly. Yeah. So let's see. Reunion tours. <laughs> Lots of reunion tours. Um, so after those, it's uh, that St. Mary's road trip that you mentioned. Gauchos will be on the road two weeks in a row. Uh, St. Mary's and then at Fresno State that first weekend of April. Gauchos will be the first of April. And then it's Fullerton um, on the road. Let's see. Irvine at home. Then another road stint at Pepperdine at UC San Diego uh, as we get into mid-April. And come back home, Davis. Then it's down to Riverside for Baptist and, and UC Riverside, home for LMU. Then it's at Long Beach State, home Cal Poly, finish up the year on the road at Hawaii. So there's some, you know, there's always difficult places to play in the Big West. A couple that I've circled. Uh, obviously, the the trip back to Long Beach State, that was a fun series two years ago in 21 when the gauchos were down there um long beach last year by the time by the time they got to the gauchos last year they had were you know kind of had a fork stuck in them it wasn't as competitive as we thought it might be uh last year but uh, long beach state they, they've retooled uh you got rich hill who's uh as at hawaii and hawaii gave the gauchos some trouble last year um so those are obviously two uh, big trips at the end of the conference season um, that I have circled. Obviously, Fullerton would be tough, but who are some who are some guys or some teams um, that you are aware of that that could give the couch some trouble this year? Obviously, um, UCI. It's been the Gauchos and UCI taking the conference crowns the last few years, but are there some standouts for you based on last year and based on some things that you know? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think Hawaii is the sleeper for me. Um, they finished in third place last year, and they, it's the first time they've been above 500 in the, the Big West since they joined the league. I think Rich does a good job. They've got a lot of offensive um, parts coming back. They've taken a, pro, a, a recruiting approach, trying to get those um, the, the native Hawaiians to stay um, and play, and we've recruited those guys back from – some transfers back so they've they've got a they've got a really good team um they turned over some pitching but uh, i think offensively they've got one of the better teams in the conference and um and some older experienced good players and so if they can get their pitching um dialed in i think they're going to be they're going to be competitive uh irvine's going to be good obviously coach orloff does a great job um they've got some offensive pieces back they've got a, a number one back with Pinto. Um, so they're going to be competitive. Cal Poly's finished in the top third in the league almost every year. So it's hard to 
not imagine that they're going to, they're going to do that. We saw them in the fall. Um, they've got some good arms and some good young arms and coach Montino's up there, uh, as well. And I think he does a great job. So, you know, they're, they're going to be tough. I think Fullerton's, um, you know, the one that'll be interesting. They did a, they jumped in the transfer portal and, and got a, a real weekend starter from Pepperdine. Um, they've brought in some other transfers, some JC guys. So, uh, I think their their talent level is going to be steadily increasing, and that uh, that will make them uh, more competitive. Um, I think CSUN's got a chance to be good. They've got a legitimate ace and Lucas Braun. Um, they've got some some holes to fill on the position player side of things, but I think they've got some good arms coming back. A couple other young guys that threw form last year that that we liked when we saw. Um, so, um, and then Long Beach, I just don't know what to expect with Long Beach. You know what they're gonna. They've got 30, I think 33 new players on the team. So a big roster turnover. So I don't, I don't know what to expect with them. I know Coach Valenzuela is competitive and does a good job. And we've had some battles when he was at St. Mary's and battles when he was at Long Beach. So I, I think that'll be a, a competitive series. And then you see San Diego. Um, they've got a bunch of guys coming off injury that uh, are real on the mound. They've got uh, a couple, two or three guys that they have a chance to have some real pitching. I think this year they lost some offense, but um, I do think they've got some some real pitching that has a chance to be good, um, especially, you know, some of those guys coming back. So, um, anyways, competitively, it, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be a battle. And, you know, we're, we think we've got some good pieces, but we've got to put it all together and you know, turn it into being a good baseball team instead of a, a good bunch of individuals. Yes, yeah, so D1 Baseball dot com projected standings they picked the gauchos to win then it was long beach uci cal poly fullerton hawaii so hawaii at six then it's csun san diego bakersfield davis and riverside and yeah just going through like like i know talking with matt harvey last year he mentioned that they had lost some arms and were struggling on the mounds and that that showed i think in uh in a lot of their series, uh, particularly with, with the Gauchos and then Hawaii, you know, Gauchos only lost three games last year. And that Hawaii series here was very tight. They came back and won that wild Sunday game uh, on the road. And then Fullerton, you know, they've, they've been down. They've, they have a new head coach, you know, Neil's there and Neil's great. And, and they're Fullerton, you know, they seeing them at five in the standings uh, is unusual. And you would expect them to to climb back to where they expect themselves to be. And then Cal Poly, you know, they lost Brooks Lee to the draft top five pick. I mean, Brooks, I was going over the the stats, like trying to look for Gauchos and the, the offensive stats, even though Gauchos as a team led the conference in all these categories. It was just Brooks Lee that dominated everything individually, except for the home runs. But they will be without Brooks Lee, but they do get a Joe York back who was second in the conference in hits. Um, and he's a, uh, he's a stud at the plate and they have a couple of Santa Barbara guys, uh, Derek true. I think he was listed as one of the top draft prospects in the conference. Uh, and they have uh, Bryce worker uh, as well. Both Santa Barbara high grads that hurts by the way. Right. Um, they're, they're at Cal Poly. Um, we tried and, um, they're both they're both good. They're both talented. And Derek got drafted last year and turned it down. You know, decided to come back and turned down that opportunity. And 
Um, we saw him this fall. He looked very good. So they're going to be competitive on the mound. I think they'll find enough offense. Um, Larry does a good job. Matt does a good job on that set. So it's going to be, it's going to be competitive for sure. Yeah, and Long Beach, 33 new players. I think one of the, the better pitchers we saw last year was uh, Jerron Watts-Brown, and he transferred to Oklahoma State. And, yeah, so Long Beach, you know, they're picked second. I think they have some bats that are back uh, that could be uh, volatile, but it's – real, real catcher in Barnes. He's right. the best defensive guys on the West Coast. And then um, – the long kid can really handle the bat. They brought in a transfer from uh, UNLV that had good numbers last year. Um, so, so Eric, like I said, Eric does a good job. They're competitive, so it'll he'll, he'll get the group going. When I, and I have this thought, it's I've been kind of ruminating over for for a while, and I, it mostly stems from how football. I mean, I follow college football and college basketball. And I try and stay in tune with kind of the ebbs and flows of, of the college game across the spectrum. And with the COVID year, and we've seen the Big West baseball side, uh, they say, you know, quote, down the last couple of years as, as far as, like, the, the conference is top-heavy and, you know, out of nowhere. I'm not going to say out of nowhere, but, you know, a new champion in the Gauchos who hadn't won it in – in all these years and then they win it again. And it's kind of all the talent is kind of coagulated in these, these, these few schools and like the bottom half has been not great. Right. And it's the, the a lot of these things have been pointed to the Kobe or so if the reference here is football where the West coast schools and football, because of the restrictions and the rules that were put in place to, to keep people safe and, and all this stuff, in 20 and 21 uh, there were some recruiting things and some time on the field that was missed. And they were, were really behind some of the Midwest and the East coast schools. And this, this is some speculation. This is some opinion. This is kind of a mixture of things, but I'm kind of trying to come to this conclusion of like, why has the big West been down? Why was the PAC 12 football down? Why was West coast football and West coast basketball down the last couple of years? I think it's because you miss time on the field or in the in on the court or on the pitch or wherever but now that we're are another year clear of covid and there's been proper recruiting proper time on the field no missed time in the weight room no missed time in practice and scrimmage and all this stuff it's back to full bore for a year plus i think we're going to see the big west go back up and trend back towards where it used to be where, and with the transfer portal stuff where kids can come in and the Gauchos took advantage of that. Um, getting Ivan Bredauer, who looks like an absolute stud. I think we could see the big West trend back in the right direction. Cause we saw PAC 12 football be extremely competitive this year. Um, you know, six teams ranks winning bowl games um, and even PAC 12 basketball uh, and has gotten a lot better than what it was a couple of years ago. So I don't know. This is kind of kind of here and there. But with that being said, I think we could see a resurgence in the conference. I don't think it's going to be as top heavy as we saw it in 21 or last year. Like I think Davis and Riverside are going to be better. 
Bakersfield is going to be better. You know, it's, I think it could be a much more difficult league to compete in. Like we're used to seeing is basically what I'm trying to say here. Would you not agree somewhat on some level? Um, I, I hope that we're, it's bouncing back. I think we have yeah. really good coaching in the league. Um, and that too. Yes. I think that's, you know, I, I do. I think we've got, I think we've got really good coaching and it's kind of a balance of, you know, more, some more experienced coaches at some places and then some new young and up and comers that are aggressive and, you know, prove themselves as recruiters um, over the years. So I, I do think we have really good coaching. I, you know, I think the downturn started before the pandemic. Um, I think you could start to see, I think in, I don't know what year it was, maybe 19, we were one bid conference and you, you could start to see some of that slide a little bit. Um, and I, I think you can follow the money on it and it, it tracks back to invest investment. I think, you know, our conference had kind of sat on their heels um, and, um, you know, we got to talk about how good we were because we were you know, in a proximity where we can get a lot of really good players. And I think the recruiting world has changed over the last, you know, five, six, seven years. It's, it's happening earlier. Travel ball coaches are controlling the process a little bit more. Uh, the SEC is really invested heavily in, in to their resource, their you know their their facilities and the flash social media has changed it. Um, I think kids feel like it's it's really cool to commit to a bad Power Five school uh, as opposed to a good mid major school. Um, and I think that's changed the the talent level on the on the field. And if you go back five, six, seven years, um, you know, regularly, and not the recruiting rankings mean anything because some of our best recruiting classes weren't weren't right. ranked and um so that that doesn't mean everything but i do think you would see consistently long beach fullerton um and another school from the conference that maybe maybe that was cal poly or riverside or irvine or ourselves that would sneak in there with the ranked recruiting class um you know seven eight nine years ago that was regular you would you would see that and now, as you look at those top 25 ranked recruiting classes, I mean, you're not seeing very many schools without football programs that are that are in those rankings. And so um, I'm hoping the the pendulum swings a little bit. And, you know, you know, part of our recruiting pitch to kids regarding that is you're probably going to go to two football games in your your career. Um, you know, what are you going to do the other <laughs> 300 and, you know, 50 days a year? And um the things that really are important that you're going to wake up and, and value are going to be you know, your academics and, you know, where you, where you live and your environment that you're in and then the, the coaches and people you're around that, you know, are there to help you get better. And, you know, those, that's real meat and potatoes of, of what's important. And I think our conference has a lot of that to offer. Um, and I'm hoping that that, again, that pendulum will swing a little bit and some of the, the sexiness of uh, playing at a, a bad um, pack or SEC school will go away. Um, it is, it is an interesting, you know, it's, it's an interesting field that we're playing in now because with the transfer portal rules where you can transfer play the next year, you can see maybe a walk-on comes to a non-power five school, like a UCSB has a huge year and then gets plucked by a, 
one of the the power five schools, you know, after after one year. So he's going there as a sophomore. But you can also see big hotshot recruit goes to a power five school and, you know, maybe gets a handful of at bats, uh, doesn't get the type of playing time that they wanted or is beat out by somebody else who's better. And then he can transfer to a school like UCSB and have an immediate impact. Um, And I'm, I'm not in the recruiting landscape, so I don't know as much as you. So this is kind of outside looking in type of, of comment that last thing was, but I just, I look at the type of physical player, like Ivan Bredauer or Jared Sundstrom that the Gauchos have where like in my time here, I haven't really seen too many guys with the tools that they have uh, who come in as transfers. Uh, I've just, I've been so impressed by, by those two uh, in particular just because they're so noticeable when they have the uniform on and they're swinging the bat or they're throwing the ball from the outfield. Like it's just, it's this interesting landscape that I think we're getting into with the transfer portal stuff. And I like it's, it's a discussion for another day because I still want to get to who's going to be on the field for the Gauchos this year. But those two are going to be major players uh, on this team, Sundstrom and Bredauer. So I guess we can start in the outfield. Like, who do you think we're going to see, Log some significant innings. Yeah, yeah. Kind of jump in on the transfer portal real fast. And give you, <laughs> you can. I'm, I'm trying to get this in and uh, for, okay, uh, right. by, uh, by your phone call, eleven fifteen. But yeah. <laughs> you can comment on transfer portal. Let's let's hear it. Yeah, I just don't think that's going to be our our niche. You know, it, it, I looked last year, and, and the you know the Big West was bleeding players more than it was picking right. up. And, right. Um, there's been players in our league that go into transfer portal that. You know, we're skeptical of whether, you know, they're we want them and they end up at power five schools or have multiple power five offers. Um, so we, we've had a lot of luck in the JC ranks. We think a lot of those kids are hungry and Brock, Brock Mortensen, JC guy. Yeah. yeah it's the Mikey Gutierrez, yeah. JC guy. Will Cummings. Um, Will Cummings. Cardan, mm-hmm. uh, Zach Tora. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'm Connor Roberts, who was a kickback from us, back to us. Um, Clay O'Connor. So yeah, we've we've had a lot of luck there, and I don't think you know we think that that and young projectable high school guys are still our you know our niche. And I think the current coaches that we have on staff and the coaches uh, prior, the assistant coaches, did I've said this a bunch, but they they did a great job. You know, our our freshman pitching class here is as good as we've had as good as we brought in high ceiling guys with um, some ability to help right away and then we've got some physicality we're a little short in the middle which is a bit of a bobble on our end we should have brought some more middle guys in we're trying to rectify that with our next class but um yeah i think that you know that transfer portal and maybe i'm maybe i'm biased because i'm here um but i don't see us losing a lot of players, um, you know, unless we have a miserable year um, because I, I do think the guys like it here. I think they value the academics and the weather and the location and the, the environment. And um, I don't think we're going to have a lot of guys that will, that will leave here um, into the transfer portal. Just, just my, my thought. Um, good, it's a good thought. Keep that, yeah. keep that thought going. Cause you're so, right. I've been here as long as you have, and 
I left and I came back. So, so yeah, yeah, I think, I think, and I think we will pick up a transfer here, or there, and we, we, you know, we aren't giving up on that, but it's got to be the right fit and the right guy, and you know, it's got to be. We, you know, we have some admissions limitations in terms of timing and what year they can be. So grad grad students are an option for us. Um, seniors are are really tough. Um, but you know, like Ivan's in Ivan's case, you know, we found a guy that was fit and um, and worked, and he's got a chance to come in and contribute right away. And I think that's what we will see is as the transfer portal um, you know blows up. Some of these teams are going to you know hoard and gather all these players and you know, those young guys that are, that they brought in those recruiting classes are at some point look at, Hey, how, how do I get on the field? It's pretty hard to get drafted if I can't get on the field. Um, and you may see, you may see some of that happen where players maybe are, are less patient or they don't see a path where they're going to get on, the, get on a field and transfer to places that maybe, maybe they have more of an opportunity. Um, so we'll see how all that stuff plays out. Well, let's get into some, some talk on who is going to make an impact on the field for the Gauchos this year. Uh, collegiate baseball has the Gauchos preseason rank at 14. There's one other poll that I saw recently that had the Gauchos in the top 25, but that's the only one uh, at the moment. Uh, preseason pitcher of the year was given to Mikey Gutierrez and preseason freshman of the year was given to Tyler Bremner. So a couple of pitchers getting uh, preseason accolade nods. Um, so that's that's within the Big West Conference. Big West Pitcher of the Year, preseason Mikey, preseason Freshman of the Year, Bremner. And then there are a few preseason All-Americans, Ryan Gallagher and Mikey Gutierrez, named a second team by Collegiate Baseball, and then Carter Benbrook, named a third team by the NCBWA. So lots of pitching uh, amongst the preseason accolades, um, even though the <laughs> – even though the Gatches led the Big West Conference and all those hitting categories last year, but uh, hard to with all the offense that we've seen around the country uh, these last couple of years, hard to get the nod uh, on the offensive side of things. But I think Ferg might have a thing or two to say about that um, throughout the season. But let's see who's going to be on the field. We talked about it a little bit in the fall recap, but Mikey Gutierrez, Tyler Bremner, certainly uh, candidates to start on the weekends. Um, what are the other names that could start on the weekends or in midweeks uh, for UCSB or at least uh, competing? Probably Matt Ager, probably a couple more. Yeah, Matt, you know, Matt Reed Mooring, he's another freshman for us. He's really polished and has been impressive. Uh, Tyler Bremner, um, and then Frank Camarillo. I would say those are the, the five leading candidates for those four spots. If I had to pick today, it'd probably be uh, Gutierrez, Ager. Uh, Mooring and then Bremner and Camarillo uh, tandeming on on the midweek. Um, so JD Callahan's kind of you know lurking and there as well um, and in the mix at the, the back end of that. So um, Hudson Barrett and Carter Benberg, who we had been working up to potentially start, were um, looks like we're going to move them into the pen. They're going to move into the pen roll this weekend as we get ready. So Carter, a couple of lefties there. Hudson and Hudson first year, and then Carter, of course, coming back from from arm surgery. So it'd be good to have a couple lefties there uh, in the bullpen. Yeah, the years we've been good, we've had a you know dominant fireman type guy, and you know, a lot of them were left-handed. Greg Molly and Kyle Nelson and Carter Benbrook and um, Michael McGreevy was not left-handed, but 
was one of those dominant guys. So, um, and then we, you know, I think Hudson Barrett's got the mentality to potentially close out games. So, and the stuff to do it, I think stuff plays up in short stints and, you know, it wouldn't surprise me to see him going 93 to 96 at the back end of the game with a pretty good changeup. And, um, so we, we think he'll, he'll be one of those guys that maybe can close Sam Whiting's another guy that has really come on, um, been up to 95 uh it's really been pretty consistent uh since we've been back you know he'll be in the mix for that setup a closer type role and then we've got a, another handful of guys that'll you know be in the mix to to throw throw setup setup roles okay uh can you give us a rough draft of the starting lineup for next friday this friday no i no i, no, I cannot can't you got it you got it. not even a rough draft it's funny you, I said, you yeah, want to keep that private you know, yeah no uh, i mean we met after scrimmages on uh sunday night and i met with the staff and i and, you know i said hey give me your lineup and it's funny to hear fur you know because he, he wants to play all the guys and i said there's only nine spots yeah let's just bat but, 14 yeah i mean there's 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 <laughs> only we've got you know, realistically, probably 12 candidates for the nine spots. And uh, he kept saying, well, you know, this guy got has to play. And, well, this guy's got to play. I said, yeah, but that means that somebody else doesn't play. Like, who are we going to – I think uh, we like our guys. And, you know, obviously we, we all know that Ferg has a real good relationship with those guys and is pulling for them like crazy. So it's hard for, it's hard for all of us to not play guys, uh, especially when you feel like they're worthy and can do some damage. Um, we think we've got – you know, we've got more guys than we have spots for going into it. So we're going to have to have a bit of a rotation um, early until some of those guys, you know, establish themselves. So it's. It, Where go, go around the infield. Well, I, yeah, I think the, the easy ones right now, if I think today, would, you know, Xander, Xander at third, um, Latrey McCollum at first base, um, the two catchers, um, John Newman, Aaron Parker split time back there. Uh, Newman's the, the the probably number one there based on experience. They're both very good. Uh, you know that's a tough one because you know we've, we've got to get Parker in there. We think he's you know one of the catchers of the future and and not just the future but of now and and he's good. He's, he's talented. And so how do we get him in there? And then what do we do with Newman when Newman's not catching? He's probably going to hit leadoff for us. So hard to have your leadoff hitter out of the game so there's some moving parts that we've got to work through um the middle you've got Corey Nunez uh Nick Oakley and Jonah Sebring um with Oakley and and Nunez being the better defenders of the group and Jonah can move to the outfield as well and then the outfield we got you know yeah we're going to play five outfielders so hope hope everybody double rover Nobody gets any hits. Yeah. Hopefully <laughs> our opponents are good with that. So, um, yeah, you, Bredauer, Sundstrom, Sebring, Curtly can run out there. Um, Brock Morton. Curtly saved, saved a game last year. Like, yeah. literally yeah. robbed a, a game-winning home run. You know, and we've, we've commented on Kurt's outfit ability, made fun. Countless times, but he he backs it up because he makes plays. 
He's a sneaky good outfielder. Yeah. He does make plays. The arm's getting better. Um, you know, Brock, you get the conference leader in home runs the last two years. He's got to be in there. Um, and then we've got uh, Jesse Brown and and uh, Josh Williams, who really came on and played well and swung the bat well. So, um, yeah, we don't have enough spots to give the guys. And it's, it's going to be hard to give guys the runway to – go out there and, you know, you have some guys that you'd like to just go, Hey, you're going to play the first six games, good, bad, or ugly and, and give them some runway to work through it. And it's going to be hard to do that. We have to rotate some guys in and out. So more this platooning. Is, this is when you like, I kind of wish we were playing 59 games. So we had some extra games to give these guys. <laughs> yeah. This, yeah. Is, this is the counter to the, to the earlier comment about the schedule and sneaking in 59 games with, academics and the couple of days where you're not playing on Sunday. And yeah, it's just, it's part of the, it's just part of it. Yeah. Yeah. But Okay. okay, So you've named a bunch of guys. So now, okay, let's go one through nine. You'll see it when we post it on Friday. (laughs) I don't know. I haven't even looked at a scouting report yet. So I, I, uh, we're just starting to start to work on that. So I think a lot of it's going to be dependent on who's thrown for the other team. I think that's going to, you know, whether we have a line change with left-handed versus right-handed, I don't know if we'll completely do that, but in the outfield, you could definitely see, um, you know, with Josh Williams and Brock and some of those other guys, you know, maybe there being some, some platooning going on early. So. Okay. Well, there you have it. That's the season preview with, Head coach Andrew Check. It's there will be nine players on the field against Minnesota on Friday. Uh, it'll be a painstaking process, but we will get there. I promise. Andrew promises, right? You promise. We get nine. We'll get nine guys in the lineup card. I'll say, let us hit more. <laughs> uh, okay, you can listen to all of the games um, online, radio stream. Uh, the link is on the website on the schedule page, I will have uh, all the games play by play. And then all the home games. I know that we will stream all the big West games. We'll stream on ESPN plus. I'm not hundred percent sure on the games and surprise if they will be streamed. I imagine they will. Uh, I know some of those games are on like MLB network. I don't think it's our group of games, uh, but you can listen to me. Uh, on the uh, on the radio or stream on your phone for those four games in surprise arizona we hope to see you there no number of people that will be there um in arizona all the hammerheads of course they'll be there playing golf um and watching baseball games as they normally do but we have 55 games it's a great schedule uh it's a beautiful day today even though if you're if you're watching this i'm in a Got my hood on, vest. It's cold in this new house um, that I'm living in. But the sun is shining, and it's almost baseball season. So I hope you're fired up. I know Andrew's fired up, and uh, we're ready to do this. So uh, thank you, Chex. Good work. And uh, looking forward to it. It's going to be fun. Absolutely. Go Chels. All right. That's Andrew Shaggitz, head coach of the Gauchos.
All right, second part of the podcast here. We have a couple of pitchers, veterans. Fourth year gauchos, both listed as redshirt juniors. Pretty sure that's correct uh, on both of your accounts, redshirt juniors. Yeah, I'm a sophomore. Uh, <laughs> I know that. I think I am too, actually. Sophomores, young men. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, introducing first, uh, let's go Carter Benbrook out of Sacramento. Jesuit high school, fourth year, 28 career appearances, one start, one start, seven and one record, five saves, 59 innings, 66 strikeouts, 22 walks, 3.66 ERA. He was a first team, all big West selection in 2021, missed all of 2022 with an arm injury that we'll get to. And right now he's a preseason third team, all American um, as voted by uh collegiate baseball or was it ncbwa i'm really not sure i wish i could i wish i could tell you but i'm really not sure actually i can scroll down here on my notes oh there we go and you know the people who listened already heard it earlier yeah ncbwa got that got that nailed it um also uh a big west academic all-american uh in 2022 so uh carter benbrook what's up man I didn't know that that last part, but that's good. My mom, my parents were like that one. Uh, but nothing, you know, it's excited to be back, excited to be back, you know, throwing again and um, back out there with the guys. Uh, looking forward to season. Uh, should be a good year. All right. Sitting right next to you, Alex Schreier out of San Clemente, Santa Margarita High School, also registered junior slash fourth year slash sophomore. Uh, 19 career appearances. Bear with me here, Alex. All right. One and two record, 23 innings, 29 strikeouts, 22 walks, 5.87 ERA. Not amazing numbers, but you could say that you've not had a year here where you were 100% healthy. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Last year, my first, my first appearance back was less than a year off surgery. So is that a you, you tooting your horn less than a year off surgery first <laughs> no not, not an excuse for those performances but i mean <laughs> proud of myself for working back well alex you are also part of the big west all academic team you aware yeah. of that yeah no that that's awesome. that's awesome so you were aware of that but carter wasn't oh yeah no i'm aware of that that's going in the linkedin bio as soon as uh as soon as i put one up good call good call <laughs> well i picked both of you guys because same class you have similarities in the the injury bug, unfortunately, but you guys have rebounded back. You guys crushed rehab, and part of the stuff that I want to talk about is like that commitment to the rehab and being able to bounce back and be strong. Uh, but Carter, you had full repair, Tommy John surgery, missed all of 2022, and then Alex, you had to set a partial uh, repair. During the – when did you have it? Was it in the fall of 21? Leading into 22, or was it like beginning of the season almost? I tore it right in January, and then I had my surgery uh, the first weekend of the year, second weekend of the year that year. In 2022? It, no, year. no, no, in 2021. In 21, okay. And then you came back and you pitched last year, less than a year after your surgery. Yeah. Like 364 yeah. days after it or something? Uh, Yeah, probably a week before, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Still right. under a year. Yeah. Still yeah. under a year. Got it. Well, we let's, I guess, since we're on the subject, 
and it's it's a subject that has plagued baseball and it's just it's inevitable in uh in sports there's going to be injuries but with uh with pitchers dealing with arm injuries like eventually you're going to have something where you got to miss time like those that are fortunate don't have to get get cut open but are there anything any kind of mental approach was there a mental approach to getting through it for you guys because like carter you've you've bounced back and look almost like better than before uh in 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 some respects so like what was your approach to the rehab so that you could come back stronger than you were before start with uh that. well uh thanks kev well uh kind of i mean realistically it, it sucks but <clears throat> all of my friends and a lot of us have the same viewpoint. It's almost like the longer you play the game, it's like, it's not a matter of if it's just a matter of when you get Tommy John basically is what it seems like at this point. Um, but yeah, you know, I think the hardest part is just, especially having it during season. I got the second week of last season. It's just like, you feel right like before. You yeah. It was just, it was like a, a blow. Cause it was right before the season was going to start. Yeah. And then, and Carter's out. And that's tough for you and tough for the team. It just, it just, it's hard to like kind of keep that because you know you're out for so long. It's not like a lingering, like, oh, I, you know, I tweaked my hamstring or something like that, where it's like, okay, I'm out for a week or two. But like knowing it's going to be this long of a commitment, it's kind of hard, you know, to stay in that headspace of like, you know, um, it's, it's sometimes you feel like you're not connected to the team as much as you'd like to be. Um, obviously, because you're not like, yeah, you're suiting up with them, but you're not going out in the field and like competing with the guys. Um, so it's just a totally different thing that I've never really experienced before. Alex, what about you? Like after it, after it happened, like what kind of went through your head? Uh, I mean, for me, I kind of also kind of not that it was, it was inevitable, but I mean, I kind of had arm pain for a while leading up to it. So I was kind of lingering in the back of my mind. So when it happened, obviously, my immediate thought was when's the next time I can pitch, but obviously there's a huge road. So a big thing for me was setting those milestones of, you know, getting full range of motion at, I think, six weeks and then started playing catch at 12 weeks. And then after that, looking to when you can get back on a mound and then get back to 100% and then get back in a game and reaching those milestones and having goals and trying to cut down your timeline is kind of something you can keep, keep competitive during recovery, which I thought was cool. And for my year in particular, because – it was the COVID year. We didn't have managers or anything. So I thought there was, you know, still ways to bring value to the team. And I think it was me and Rice would a lot of the times help you out with field work or um, right. like machines or kind of just do other things. And I felt like it, it absolutely helped me feel like I'm way still helping the team, still being a part of the team rather than just sitting on the sidelines. So I think that was definitely useful. Those are great answers. Different answers. been great answers. Carter, did you, did you use the same kind of, regiment where you had these little little goals that you had reached that you would that we would strive for yeah so we got i didn't know this but we got it basically a year apart from each other i had mine the second week of season um as well and it was just kind of like yeah it just you know i was on a little different program where i was 16 or 16 weeks without throwing and then you know it's like okay you get to 90 feet you get to 60 feet you get to 90 feet you get to 120 and then it's like off the mound for the first time that was like to me that was like the biggest like um just like breakthrough i guess whatever you want to call it of just like okay like this is really like coming all together again um after so long of just you know having to 
sit and watch and now you're finally able to throw throw again and be off the mound was it was it feel like the first time you, you throw the ball like once you're cleared you got all the motion and it's like okay now you have to actually like throw the baseball i personally i've never had surgery before so i don't know what rehab is never. like correct never so i just I, I can't imagine like okay i've got this repaired ligament in my elbow or like something that was taken from another part of my body and put in here like that would play mind games with me. I just know it would. So, like, what's the what was like the first throw? What it feel like? Well, I I think I don't know about other guys, but I've never I never had an arm problem ever, and it was just one you know kind of like a one pitch freak thing. So coming back, um, yeah, I was I was worried going into it, and then you know after you get it, throw a couple. It's just like riding a bike, and you feel like right back where you were before it before it happened. Yeah, for me the few, first few days were a little awkward. I described. I remember describing my first day. I felt like I was throwing a kettlebell because it was so heavy on my elbow. Um, I, maybe that was just because I started a little earlier too. But I mean, it, it was definitely tough that first day. And every increment you go back, it kind of you know you adjust a little more and more. But definitely weird. Definitely different initially. So I don't know if you guys saw him, but the uh, yesterday uh, Trevor Betancourt was uh, throwing a bullpen at the field, and he's had he's had two Tommy John surgeries. And he's had some kind of nerve repair. So he's been, you know, he's been through it there yeah. and back again. Uh, and so we were talking like, you know, what is it like? Have you noticed any differences with like pre-surgery and after surgery? And then even after the second surgery, and he's like, yeah, like I can't not cut the ball anymore. It's just, it's going to be a cutter every single time. And I guess they've all of the, the pitching metrics and, and data analysis on arm injuries and all this crazy stuff that all the data that people are accumulating now, like post-surgery guys, it, it sounds like they will cut the ball more just based off like how the muscle regenerates or the nerve regenerates. So have you guys noticed anything different with how the ball comes out of your hand after surgery or does it feel the same? For me, because I throw from a lower slot, not necessarily, but I actually, when I do throw the ball overhand and catch, especially in the beginning, I'll rip some of the gnarliest cutters you've ever seen. And my catch play partners can attest to that because every once in a while, it'll, my, my hand will slip up and I'll get on the side of it. So I think that if I threw overhand, I might have some trouble with that. And I think it is a little different, the release, definitely, because I used to be able to kind of just pick up a ball and wing it whenever I wanted to. Um, so yeah, I can I can say that I could see some of that happening. I don't know about you, Carter. No, yeah, I agree. I uh kind of like Alex, I have a lower slot, but um, ever since coming back, ever, whenever I throw overhand or like fully, you know, over the top, it does have a tendency to cut more than, more than it used to. Facts. Yeah. That's, that's, that's pretty, it's, I don't know. It's interesting. Like you come back, you have this new nerve and then the ball comes out of your hand differently. Well, let's see, yeah. since you guys mentioned like your slots, uh, you guys both have unique, pitching style is very different carter left-handed alex right-handed you know carter you are listed carter at six four on on the roster i didn't realize that you were six you think i'm lying about that i i don't know like i just saw i was going through the roster and i like carter six foot four like really well i mean like i get i i'm i know i'm a clean six three and some change but okay on. he's got cleats on the lady no, no. at the physical she said do you want me to list you as six three or six four? So you know, put yourself in my yeah. Shit. You got to you got to pick six four, six four naturally. Yeah, Alex, you're you're not six four, but you get so low to the ground. I have some photos that I will probably post 
here soon from scrimmages, you get so low to the ground, you're basically kneeling on your back knee as you do the delivery. So the, the questions here are, or the question here is, how did you guys get your, your delivery? Are they natural? Like, how did it, how did it shape up to be like, what was kind of the, cause a pitching delivery, that's, you know, it's your calling card. It's something that's unique to you. You, there's different things that you can do to distribute your weight, get power, or you go or have some kind of unique thing that makes you, you, but you guys are very different with your pitching deliveries. So like what went into it to make them how they are today? I mean, like I've, here, start start with Alex. Looking so, back, I, I prompt I prompted it first. I guess low to the ground. Yeah, I mean, for myself growing up, I would slowly started going down, down, and my dad actually literally he he let me go where I throw two pitches overhand, two pitches sidearm because I just felt comfortable from there. And so, kind of in high school, I started doing it more, and I kind of would be a little upright. But throughout, I think high school and college, as I've started to throw harder and just do you know go through my delivery more, stop playing a position. I've slowly gained some mobility in my hips to the point where my, yeah, like you said, my back knee is almost on the ground at the same time as my foot. So at foot strike, so I'm basically maximizing as much as I can in my lower half. And at the same time, throwing from that lower slot, trying to get sync. So I think it's all about maximizing my mechanics and, you know, changing just kind of my body morphing to whatever I can do to throw the hardest and also trying to be deceptive to the hitter with the arm slot or whatever kind of movement I can get. Um, but I think Coach X does a great job of with me. Obviously, I'm a lot different, but trying to figure out ways for me to get the most out of my own delivery without changing the way I do things. What about you, Carter? Uh, well, I feel like my arm slot has always, you know, looking back pictures when I was younger, my arm slot has always been the same. It's just kind of I feel like my movements have changed a little bit over the past couple of years. Uh, Jared Sundstrom with the guest appearance. Hey, hey, Jerry. Nice hat. Come say hi, Jarrett. Jarrett Sundstrom from. Uh, okay, give us one one cool thing about uh, Guadalajara, California. Um, you get a little bit of beach and mountains. That's the only good part. Kind of like Santa Barbara. It's just significantly smaller. Yes, way they, smaller. They call it the Santa and, Barbara. And colder. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, Jared Sundstrom, thanks for stopping by. Transfer from Santa Rosa Junior College. We'll be seeing lots of you this year. See you. Carter, continue. Sorry. Uh, yeah, so the arm slot's always kind of been the same. It's just, you know, over years I've, you know, tinkered with and kind of changed up the delivery part. Um, but I've never, you know, I never really felt comfortable throwing completely overhand. And um, that, like, kind of, like – little lower than three quarter slot has always just, you know, felt comfortable to me. So I haven't really changed anything else other than that kind of feels uncomfortable. So what about the glove slap? Where'd that come from? Uh, well, it's just kind of like, you know, I only do it in the first inning that I throw and it's just kind of like, I think I started that in like freshman year of high school. Um, I don't, I really don't know why it's just kind of like a thing where it's like, okay, I take some breaths and I do it. And it's just like, all right, like, you know, that's the, kind of like that lock-in moment where I know it's, you know, it's game time. It, it riles your teammates up though. Like it's yeah, turned it, into kind of a, like we're waiting for Carter to do it. And then when he does it, it's on. Right. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. It's like the LeBron James chalk. I, I, think, yeah. I think chalk in the both, air. Yeah. I think they like it more than I do. It seems <laughs> like now, so, you know, I got to keep going with it. Was, uh, 
Carter, was your, your first time throwing to live hitters coming back from surgery? Because I, I was out the last six months. I was gone. Yeah. So I wasn't around for your rehab. And I think the first time you faced hitters was when I – like the first week I got back or second week, something like that. Uh, well, I threw twice when I was home against hitters um, at my high school. Um, and, yeah, it's just like the bullpens are a totally different feeling, you know. Um, I was just more of a game-like thing. My, my velo jumped like four miles per hour, and I didn't think I had that in me um, from the bullpens to the live hitters. So it was just, you know, it was just a – great you know great feeling to be able to be out there and you know throw to a guy again instead of just a catcher and uh, feeling like a bullpen okay we'll, we'll stick to some some serious stuff before we get to the fun stuff what's like your guys favorite pitch to throw favorite pitch to throw i mean all uh, sliders in general are just fun you know whether it's right or, yeah if it's a left-handed hitter there's nothing better than a back door to a lefty where they just sit there and watch it land in the zone but there's also the one to a righty that starts middle and you just watch him wave at it as it's a foot off the plate. So it's got to be sliders for me. And you sometimes going up there and a guy who can't hit him and you can just fling him all day and they just they just have no chance. It's pretty fun. Carter? Um, I, I got to say change-ups. It's always been my, my favorite pitch to throw um, to righties or lefties. I feel like it's like a, it's like a crutch that I, I, uh, I'll always have with me. Thankfully, two two great pitches, two great yeah. pitches. Uh, what about like um, who's your favorite guy to watch throw a slider? Schreier could be a pro guy or a major leaguer or or a college guy. I mean, instantly I got to go to Matt Brash on the uh, Mariners. He's got this crazy grip where he separates his fingers, and I mean his his slider's disgusting. It's it's sweeping and it's like eighty four. So that's got to be my favorite. And that was more recently because he's kind of got a sweeper like mine. So. It's a fun one to watch for sure. Carter, change-ups? Uh, well, you know, it's kind of hard to pick, but I I, I, I watch the same Greg Maddox highlight video um, I, like at least once a week. He's my favorite player growing up. Uh, he was like actually my Twitter header, you know, picture for years and years. Um, and then and I had to take it down because we were supposed to play UNLV when he was coaching there. So, oh, yeah, yeah that's right. Didn't want to, didn't want to, you know, fanboy too much, but uh, that never ended up happening because of COVID. But yeah, so I only watched Greg Maddox highlights. Really, I was, I've always been a fan of Greg Maddox. Always been a fan. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm on a hunt. I'm on the hunt for one of his rookie cards. Let me know. I've been, we'll I've been dabbling. I've been, <laughs> I've been trying to rebuild my my trading card collection and buying a bunch of old wax packs from the '80s and '90s and trying yeah. to get a Greg Maddox one. So. Maybe yeah. one day. I got a couple when he was on from uh from the Cubs days, not rookies, but old days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cubs days were like you remember, I remember Maddox as a brave pitching with Glavin and Smoltz. Yeah, you can only remember him as a brave. Yeah, definitely. I'm sorry, I don't know anything about Matt Brash, Alex. Oh, I mean, I don't know I, too much about him either. I just, <laughs> he was like a slider. All right, what about Adam Ottavino? I'm familiar with Adam Ottavino. You're right. Where's number zero? Yeah, similar sweeper. Former Yankee. Okay. Did you guys get to pick your numbers? Because you you guys have had the same numbers your entire careers. Is that just what you guys got? Or yeah, not the first choice for me. I wanted to be 31, you know, because of Greg Maddox. Mm. But 
for some reason, you know, just luck of the draw, it turns out it's the smallest jersey we have on the team. So, you know, that probably, you know, that was never going to happen. Uh, Pretty sure, but uh, I think 31, I know you're not a hitter, but I think 31 has one of the biggest swings in Gaucho history. Oh, it was the walk-off? No, that was number 30. That's close. Sam Ooh. Cohen did wear number 30, but number 31 was worn by Ryan Cumberland. Who got the the knock down the right field line against Miami in the College World Series? Oh yeah, yeah. There we go. There we go. I know what you're yep. talking about. Yep. Okay. So, uh, so yeah, fifty one, Carter. You you and you stuck with it. Yeah. Um. You know, I I you know wasn't my first choice, and uh, but I you know I grew to love it. I grew to love the 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 corner locker. You know, close to the it's, door. It's good locker location. I'll give you that. Space. I was, you know, next to Corey Lewis for so many years, and it was, yeah. I, now I, I can't go, can't go away with, uh, from it. So I love it now. And Schreier, you, you're the rare single digit pitcher. Yeah, yeah. I got lucky with that one. I think a lot the year before we came in, a lot of guys left. So that was my first number selection and uh, smaller jerseys. So you know they, they got to fit it on the smaller guys. So I got lucky with that one. I used to wear, I wore six in high school because I was a big fan of Mark the Shroman, who used to wear six, but. Uh, no, I mean, not, not that I'm not a huge fan of him anymore, but I mean, now I just take six as my own. Yeah. Randy Johnson wore number 51. He was pretty good. Uh, and, he was, and he was left-handed. As soon as I found out I was 51, you know, I hit a Google search saying, you know. Noah, Noah Lowry, I think, was the lefty, wore number 51. I know Dashwood was. Dash. Yep. Literally and figuratively uh, coming in as a freshman, so. Um, hope I made him proud or I've made him proud. Okay. One more. I know numbers and, and favorite pitches are, those are serious questions. Very, very serious questions. Uh, so this one actually is, I, you guys are late in your careers. So that means you've, you've seen, you've, you've been around for two big West championships, right? 19. One, 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 yeah. one. Okay. Gosh, it's 2023 already. My gosh. So you guys came. You guys came after 2019. Okay, because so I was like, I was like, I'm pretty sure Tevin Mitchell wore number six. Yeah, yeah, he did. Yeah. And so Alex got him, got it after Tevin, because Tevin got drafted in 19. Okay. Ooh, 2023. Okay, but still fourth year. So that means you guys have seen some things. You guys have been leaders in the clubhouse. You've seen guys come and go. There are expectations now. There's expectations to be leaders. Expectations to perform coming back from injury like all this stuff so like have you guys taken an approach to and you guys are team leaders have you guys taken a specific approach or has it come natural to you or have you guys been influenced by prior gauchos who have come through that locker room i think that it's kind of a mix of everything seeing seeing how guys led before us and seeing the culture that they built um and kind of taking that and seeing other guys take us under their wings, you know, as freshmen coming in here scared, thinking playing with a bunch of 22-year-olds. And so I think it's kind of a combination of all that. Both of us, I think, um, have been able to come become leaders in the clubhouse and made every guy feel comfortable, every guy feel like, you know, they matter on this team and they're bringing some value to the team and helping guys also understand kind of the culture that was built before them, but um, kind of putting our own spin on it, um, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean um... – I, I just growing up and growing, going through the, 
program for so many years, it just totally changes from freshman year to senior year where, you know, the coaches trust you more guys on the team trust you more. And, uh, I don't want to jump the gun, but we were what you were talking about earlier about guy, who, like an older player that helped you the most, um, got to give a shout out to Connor Roberts. Um, like ever since the first day I stepped on campus, my freshman year, you know, I was 18 scared, um, you know, and you know, he's an older guy and, ever since the first road trip, we were sat up next to each other on the bus for, you know, two years straight. Um, and I just thought, you know, I thought it was the coolest thing, you know, senior guy, leader on the team, one of our better pitchers, you know, just sitting with me and being able to talk to him and go to him with any questions I had. So, and we still talk all the time today. So. Yeah. What's uh, what's the nature. So like, like pitchers and hitters, you know, are, are, there's a lot of time it's baseball. There's a lot of times where like pitchers are doing their thing and hitters are doing their thing. So like pitchers have their own day, hitters have their own day, you know, mixed up through the week uh, as far as the practice schedule goes, you know, and I've, we will talk about the hitter stuff and, and what Ferg does and it's great, but DJ coach Jones, like he's got his own thing that does, I feel like has been, he's kept it very secret. Like, I don't know what the pitchers are talking about when they huddle up and they do their, their handshakes and their, they do whatever you guys do before the game. Like maybe it's because I'm just not over there. Cause that's just not where like my routine doesn't involve going down there ever. So if you guys don't want to reveal any secrets, that's okay. But I know that coach Jones has had a lot of success with, with the pitching staff and he's created this little culture where you guys have your, it's, it's hard to like put a, a word to it, but you guys have this, this little culture that you built. So there wasn't necessarily a question in there. You guys are <laughs> looking, you guys are looking at me with like straight faces. Like we're not telling you anything, man. Like that's some picture stuff. That's private. <laughs> I, I think I understand. I think it's not necessarily too secretive. But we, we're kind of just, uh, not, not necessarily straight to the point, but in those meetings, there's kind of just an expectation and a, um, a seriousness about it that we're just going to go out there and dominate and do our thing. And there's no tiptoeing around what we're going to do. You know, like we're, we'll always talk about that we're going to do what we're going to do. And we're not worried about what the hitter's doing, what they're doing in the box, what anybody else is doing. But when you're out of the mound, you're there to execute that pitch, do what you're doing, focused on yourself, not on external factors. And I think that those are all kind of reminders of that, whether it's like small talks or bigger things. But I think we, we constantly, we constantly with new guys, new classes, just keep that culture of who we are as a pitching staff and who the Santa Barbara is going to be every single year. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. We always, you know, pregame before every game, DJ uh, and checks bring us together, you know, in the left field corner and uh, they talk to us and, you know, they, we go through our game plan. They, you know, they always say, you know, we set the tone. Uh, we got to compete from the first pitch to the last pitch. Um, and then, yeah, it's just, you know, they, 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 they've instilled such like a competitive, you know, spirit and fighting us over, you know, the falls and the, and the winters where it's just like, it's just now we get to go have fun um, and compete and let all the, you know, let all our work show for itself. So. What about the, the handshakes? You guys do the handshake line like right before the game starts. Where did that start? I think that started probably long well, before, before us. Before we got here, yeah, yeah. but we're we're, we're going to keep that going for sure. I think yeah. it's just a little camaraderie thing. You know, other teams always watch that. No, nobody else does it like us. Everyone's got to individualize. Yeah, 
Yeah. Yeah. Kind of just knowing everybody's your brother right there. Just remind yourself before the game. Yeah. Collective group. Absolutely. Okay. Let's uh let's let's go to some fun things here. Not like we haven't been having fun. I mean, there's there's been some laughs. There's been some laughs so far, but we've we've also, you know, dug in and had some serious answers. Like right. So Schreier, what's with your hair right now? Is this how it's gonna be all the time? I saw guys cruising into the clubhouse today with like really nice haircuts that I know they didn't get from you. Yeah, first off, personally, don't like that uh, back backhanded compliment. But compliment. my hair, personally, currently, uh, the the listeners can't see this, but uh, you know, it's a little froed out. But usually, I'll put some um, some coconut curls in there, get the curls nice and tight. And it, it's not necessarily a mullet; it's more of you know a curled mohawk. It's just flowing down to the back, flows out the hat nice. But uh, yeah, I'll definitely get other guys styled up. Uh, I actually have a line of guys out the door tomorrow, squeezing as many people as I can in. Um, the shop's been busy, uh, season's coming up. Yeah. I'm excited to, you know, keep the haircut business going. So did you give currently a haircut today? No, no, that was not me. You know, uh, if guys, if guys want to go spend $50 and get, you know, a subpar haircut from, I'm not going to say where, you know, my competition, but you know, they can go do that, but I'm always here and, uh, they, they know I'm accessible. So I always keep that in my back pocket. Carter, what do you, you you got backwards hat on? I I I always wear a hat, so um, there's probably a few people who've never seen my hair before. But you, what are you rocking right now with the do? Oh, uh, you know, just a just a standard the standard cut. Uh, before you got you weren't here last fall. My hair was the longest it's ever been. Uh, really? Yeah, I mean, it was kind of like you know, yeah, it just it went on too long. And before I went home, my mom said I couldn't walk into her house before i got a haircut so i had to had to let it go so now it's it's coming back but Friar, what's uh what's your specialty what's your specialty cut uh i think the specialty you know the most guys on the team are getting this is is just the standard you know four all around blended into the top maybe a little bit off the top depending who you are that's the you know the ryan gallagher the jd callahan matt Aker. he's kind of branched out from that but it's a pretty standard haircut that just keeps it clean cut for the guys who, you know, aren't doing anything too crazy. But I actually started back in the day with just mullets. So that's, I would say that's my specialty. But, you know, I can I can do a four like nobody else on the sides. Hey, uh, best best haircut on the team or best hairdo? What do you guys, what do you guys got? That's tough. Yeah, no, no, uh, no easy answer there. You know, uh... Which are we talking about? Hair yeah, talking about or great like, head of hair. Yeah, I mean, there's different. There's yeah, different. I think there's different criteria here. So if we're talking about pure, if we're talking about best haircut, best well cut hair, cut like kept hair, I gotta give it to Nick Welch. I got you know he keeps it clean. Let's he go ahead and talk. About I am Nick Welch's barber, so you just you didn't even realize that. Well, some free advertisement for Shire, but uh, if we're talking about best head of hair, it's gotta be Elliot. Gallegos or John Newman? I got to give them to one of those two. We're going to go ahead and add in on both of their barbers as well. But I was talking about head of hair. That's not head hair. of hair. They got flow. They do. Yeah. Absolutely. I, no, I, agree. I agree. I agree with those answers for sure. I think that, you know, Reed Mooring's got a lot going on, but I mean, mm-hmm. it's, you know, a unique cut. It's, it's a unique cut. I cut his hair as well. So we're going to trim that down a little bit and get it, you know, tamed before the, the season starts. Okay. Good answers. Those are some very competitive answers, I think. 
Uh, what about best? Uh, do you do a straight razor shave, Alex? Uh, no, no, I'm not to that level yet. I do have a balder though, you know, and I do do beard lineups. Michael Rice's beard's got out of control a few times. <laughs> I've had to have him come in the shop, get it cleaned up just in case any special occasions. So I do do beards. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I will get them nice and tight if you need it. Carter, have you ever grown a beard? Um, I'm not at, well, see, I have blonde hair, but for some weird, for some reason I grow red facial hair. Um, Me as well, actually. So, you know, I can't. I can't let it, I, you know, when it grows too long, it just doesn't, doesn't look the best. Just a mismatch. Yeah. It's just not the best. So I try to keep it, keep it at a certain stubble, no longer than stubble. This, this hair and facial hair talks great. I'm, I'm like, I'm trying to fish for like a segue into the next question, but we're just going to, we're just going to jump over to it. Like, uh, do you guys remember your first appearance as a gaucho? I wish I could forget it. Yeah. Me too, actually. Oh, really? Okay. Uh, do that. Yeah, mine was at Sac State at the beginning of that 2020 season. Um, not, I mean, not great. Came in uh, after Mike, I think, was throwing. Uh, I think I let up a hit, walked a guy, and then Dan came in and uh, got out of the inning for me. But actually, that, that was the only run I'd let up that season. So you know, it, it's not. But we won the game, so that's all that mattered. And I was happy walking out of there because I was winning two or three on that first weekend. So I, I do remember it because we won the game, and that was the best part of that weekend. Yeah, I mean. Mine was uh, freshman year. I think the day after that, maybe uh, we played Cal here, and that was my only start. Uh, you know, didn't didn't go my way. Didn't go. wasn't the best outing. Uh, the numbers are out there, um, but you know, we came back and won the game. We won the game. We put up a lot of runs after I gave up a lot of runs. So that's all I can I appreciate the boys for picking me up there. <laughs> I yeah, that was the COVID year. I. I was talking about this to somebody the other day. Like, it's been three years, three years since March of 2020, which is it's unbelievable. Like, so you guys were you guys were freshmen that first year, 2020. That was Sac State, the win against Cal, like uh, Illinois, Chicago, Illinois, Chicago, Oregon State, Oregon State, yeah, finished with a sweep of Oregon State. Yeah, that was a, that was a weird road trip and and beat uh top ranked UCLA. Remember that? That was a crazy game. That was an awesome one. That was a great game. And that that Cal game, Carter, that was the first game ever under the lights at Caesar. Right. Wow. Yeah. I guess that'll be my claim to fame, I guess. Started the first one? Yeah. Didn't make it long. I was out for the first pitch. Well, there should be a plaque. We should put a plaque up somewhere like with the box score and like first night game and your name will be on it. So yeah. maybe not the box score, but maybe we'll not the box score, but yeah. if you put starting, pitcher, you know. <laughs> Start, starting pitchers, <laughs> yeah, not the box score, man, that, that you guys are, were you guys both at that Oregon state series? Uh, yes. yep. Yeah. Okay. What do you guys remember about that? Cause it was, it was cold and it was rainy the whole time. So cool. I remember they had a, like, I'm pretty sure they had a fan in our bullpen. It may have been 25 degrees out. And I remember mm. I came into the first game and I couldn't even feel my hands until I was on the mound. And then you can't feel your hands because of adrenaline. So then you, you know, it's just, you're just throwing out there. But I remember I was trying to come in on Sunday and actually hurt my shoulder probably because it was so cold out. I couldn't feel anything. So yeah, I remember being miserably cold, but the be- it was sweeping them was just awesome. Yeah. I'll, I'll never forget, you know, we're all in the dugouts pouring rain and we have all of the layers that we've gotten, uh, like, you know, all four jackets and then, then the big jacket 
And I look over across the field and these guys are like with their big parkas on unzipped with no undershirt. And it was just, it was, it was mind blowing to me. Believe it or not, that was not the coldest series that I've, I've had in my experience as a gaucho. It was was, like, that one was wet. Like I'm, I'm sitting up there calling the game and, and Rod is just out there in the rain throwing 84 and striking everybody out. (laughs) (laughs) It was just great. (laughs) But we had, oh, in 20, get this, in 2017, we had back-to-back weeks where we went to Lexington, Kentucky to play the Wildcats, and then the following week we went to BYU. And when we played at BYU, it was like, and this was in March, there was snow on the mountains in the background, but it was like 55, 60 degrees, and it was sunny and clear, and it was beautiful, great for baseball. But the week before, when we were in Lexington, it was 30 to 32 every day, just crisp, clear, and ice cold. It was so cold. That's why we came to, you know, sunny Santa Barbara. Yeah, absolutely. It was 75 degrees today, guys. Yeah. yeah. It was a great day at the yard. Yeah, great day at the yard. And we'll, we'll always take uh, the moment to talk about the weather on this podcast whenever we can afford to. But that, yeah, the Kentucky series was cold. We went to Wichita in March in that 20. I think it might might have been 2015 or 2016. That one was pretty cold as well, but nothing will beat that Kentucky series. <laughs> yeah. And it was we we were going to weights on like Thursday before the game, and our bus broke down, and so we oh. had to walk. We had to walk like the final half mile, and we were in you know we were in shorts and t shirt because we were just going to jump in the weight room, and it, you know we had to walk that extra half mile in the cold that's real so hardened hardened those gauchos but yeah that was that was a cold series so speaking of road trips what's the best road trip that you guys have been on besides that oregon state series where the gauchos uh, won three games against the beavers trying to think right now uh well my road trips you know they've kind of been uh, other than the oregon state one my road trips COVID, the COVID road trips at 21 year were just totally, it was a different experience. So, cause we never really, you know, never really got to. Oh, 2021 season. Yeah. So, um, I mean, as, as bad, you know, the regional in Arizona is still a great memory. You know, it's just, it was a great environment. Um, and it was a great, you know, great being out there. Um, even though we didn't, you know, didn't go all the way and, Lost, lost a couple games there. I think that was probably my favorite, you know, looking back on a road trip. Yeah, I mean, for me, obviously, 2020 season, we went to a few places, and then I didn't – I was hurt the next year. But, I mean, last year going to Oregon, there was, they were saying it was supposed to be really cold, but it ended up being nice for a few days. And that was a cool place to play. They had some good crowds, so that was fun. We got a few wins there, too. Um, and I think going to the regional at Stanford um, was cool. I mean, the crowds seemingly quiet for how many people come, but, I mean – it's cool to be there. Cool to be at a regional and uh, Palo Alto's you know, nice place to take a trip for sure. Regionals are, they're the best. Yeah, it's absolutely. so much fun. It's it's like a cherry on top of the season. Obviously, you want to go to a super, or you want to go to the World Series, but like you know your schedule at the beginning of the year, you know everybody you're gonna play, but that like excitement of 
And we've had like a 19 and 22 last year, you know, you knew you're in. So it, it takes a little bit of the edge off of like, try, it's still exciting to find out where you're going to go and who you're going to play. But like, if you're not a guaranteed bid, there's this, that like, what if we don't make it in you, but then you make it and it's just elation and it's yeah. great. So like, that was cool in 21 when we, we saw our name get picked for Arizona. Yeah. 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 But it's, it's like, okay, who are the opponents going to be? Like, who do we get to play? Like, we've got a big-name school that we get to play. Like, that stuff is is just – it's fun. It's it's why I am enjoy being a part of this, and it's why you guys play as well. Obviously, you're trying to go and play professional baseball, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, let's see. When we're on the road, hotel life – and I, I asked this question to – Oakley and Parker. So go to breakfast plate at the hotel. What are you guys putting on your plates? If you had, if you, if we're at a hotel where it's got everything, all the options. I mean, for me, I'm definitely going variety. Uh, you know, depending on the hotel, some, some of them got the, you know, eggs that, you know, you want to stay away from, but I, I like to get some protein on there. Bagel with some cream cheese. Definitely. Um, you know, pancakes, some fruit, uh, definitely a coffee. Apple juice is always great. You know, I'm never going to buy that for myself, but having that at the hotels is awesome. So I'm, I'm definitely a big fan of a big breakfast and a big variety. Those would be my two tips. Oh, uh, yeah. You know, I try to keep it simple. I just yeah, eggs, like he said, some of the hotel eggs that definitely aren't uh, ideal, but eggs, they always got good fruit. Um, like the little cereal boxes, you know, you can never go wrong with those. Um, and then I'm like not a bagel guy. So I always, you know, try to get some sourdough toast and some, maybe like some strawberry jelly. So kind of try to stick it there. Honestly, you can't really go wrong with breakfast. No, no, no. There's, there's so many routes you can go. Dinner on the other hand, dinner, you can, you can go South on dinner real quick. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, in a new place, don't know what's around. Yeah, definitely. What's like a? Although coach, uh, well, not coach, but our Debo, Justin Hockmay, does a great job. Phenomenal. Great, great job having food at the hotel after night games. I mean, it's oh, yeah. it's uncanny. What have been some of the the top tier options? I mean, top tier after after game dinners that have showed up at the hotels. I mean, I'll never forget getting Olive Garden when we were at UC Irvine. I was talking about this the other day. They gave us an uncanny amount of breadsticks. They gave us cakes. They gave us juice. They, I mean, it was the cakes. The cakes. Yeah. There were like three cakes. There's an unbelievable spread of food and just the amount and the different variety. It's something I'll never forget. It'll be up there in my memories for probably the rest of my life. Uh, I'll never. We were in uh, Hawaii. Um, and Hawk, Hawk got a cheesecake factory orders for us, um, so that was you know that everybody loved that, uh, and he's right. always he's always on top of it, so he always takes care of us. Yeah, we appreciate you, Hawk. Yeah, if you're listening, when you listen, he li- he listens to all of these, so he'll be uh, he'll come talk to you guys. <laughs> yeah, we, that we are going to Hawaii this year, last weekend of the season, but 21 went to Hawaii. Didn't we have um, IHOP box breakfast? Oh, yeah. I mean, that was such a 
Yes, it was crazy. I think I think we were almost late to the game because uh, they were so backed up or something. And I don't know if you remember that, but there was like 40 of us in IHOP and everybody's looking at us with all these weird looks and we're just, you know, we're just trying to get our breakfast and head to the field. So, yeah. I think that was, um, that must've been the first day. Yeah. Cause like we were given vouchers to go across the street yeah. to get IHOP. But that, means, that was all that, on IHOP. That was all on IHOP. But that's not, but that's like everybody showing up to this IHOP at once, a whole team saying here, we're, we're, we want our, our breakfast right now with no announcement ahead of time. So I think, I think we audibled and then gave them a heads up and then we wound up getting the boxed ones. I think that yeah, was yeah, happened. Okay. No, that's, I remember that now. I yeah. Because <laughs> there's, there's definitely moments on the road when you're like on the freeway or, or you're, we're pulling over somewhere to get food after, after a series and we're going home. And just the whole bus empties out and there's like two or three places to go. And you walk into some like a Baja fresh or whatever. And there's one person standing at the register, 20 guys walk in you just see the look on their face. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're <laughs> not happy. devastated. Yeah. yeah. It's like, usually Chipotle and we just take the place over to. Yeah. Or Chipotle. Yes. Uh, okay. You guys both love being in Santa Barbara and I love being in Santa Barbara, so I'm curious. Uh, favorite Santa Barbara activity? Uh, I, well, I mean, obviously, I've been talking about eating a lot on the spot. I got to say, just all the different places to eat. You know, there's not a lot of chains here, so there's so many different places that are kind of one of a kind. Chalubes, Finney's. I went to a uh, place we went on Monday. Oh yeah, Norton's Pastrami. Is actually, there, yeah, Norton's oh, Pastrami. I live and die with Norton's. The mom's PLT. You kidding me? Oh, I went with the. Uh, I don't know what it was called, but it was just phenomenal. And we've actually been going there on our pitcher off days. So it's been, it's been phenomenal, you know, trying out all the different homegrown fruits, having Oakley here living with us too. We get the uh, hometown references inside, inside track. That's great. Uh, Carter, Carter, you got some, some you know, out there. Realistically, you know, I, I, you know, I tag along with this dude a lot, so we kind of do the same stuff. Um, and it's just, yeah, there's, there's never, there's, there's so much stuff to do here. Um, always, you know, the su- Sunset, going to watch the sunset, walk down to Sands with some of the guys. You can never go wrong with that. What about like uh, you guys play spike ball? You guys go to Lizard's Mouth, like stuff like that? Yeah, I think I've covered it all. I've been to Lizard's Mouth a few times at Sunset. Um, some real competitive spike ball down at the beach. Yeah, we do it all for sure. Yeah, yeah. Surf? Any surfing? Not for me. I stay, I stay uh, away from the surf. Wow. Not afraid of the water, but I am afraid of the surfboard. <laughs> afraid of the surfboard we need to change that no not afraid of the surfboard but <laughs> don't dabble in that area but i mean uh i know nick vote has you know established himself as a surfer now so you never know and he, he waited so after the after the career's over, we don't want to get you hurt right yeah yeah well i mean you'd have to be pretty uh you know pretty bad but you never know you know yeah i think i'm gonna stay away for you know, a little longer. Yeah, I'll make okay. my way there eventually. All right. Sure. all right, all right, all right. Uh, all right. So we're we're about to embark on another Gaucho baseball season. We start in Arizona next week against. Uh, we face the Gophers, the Golden Gophers. Any? I mean, it's it's a broad. I'm not going to ask the. Are you excited for the 2023 season? Like, it's, the obvious answer is yes. 
So my, my question is like, what are, what are some personal goals for you guys moving into this year? Uh, I mean, you know, I guess personal, just, you know, just be able to be back out there and be healthy for a full year. Um, and then, you know, let the, let the results take care of themselves. But, you know, I'm obviously, I think we got a, we got a great team, great, great, uh, group of young guys and, you know, guys that are older or, you know, second or third years that it's, you know, it's their turn to take the roles and take the reins. Um, and, you know, from guys moving on in the past couple of years and, you know, they're ready for it. And, um, we're excited. Yeah. I mean, same personally, I'm excited to do, uh, hopefully do more this year to help the team win, move in the right direction. Um, but I think this year we have a lot of depth. Um, and I mean, we're seeing a lot of guys throwing a lot harder than in other years and a lot of guys just being filthy all around the board. So I'm excited to see everybody um, firing on all cylinders against some outside competition versus, you know, beating up ourselves all the time. <laughs> what about um, one game or one series that you guys have circled? Not we're not we never look ahead. But we haven't played any games yet, so it's okay. And in this platform, we can we can admit that hey, we we're ready to get a piece of those guys or go into this place or whatever. So something that you guys have circled. Uh, for me, it's got to be Oregon and uh, UC Irvine, probably. Yeah, I mean Oregon coming back after uh, you know, not not we didn't do so well last time they came into town. So I'm excited to get them back here for sure. The Oregon, it's it's been a there's been some history, which is yeah. which is fun. It's like I I love sports and I love rivalries, and knowing like what happened last year or what happened the year or two years ago and like like games. You know, there's history. Just adds to the theater of calling a game or watching a game and playing in the game. I'm sure, like facing a guy who hit a homer off you last year or facing a guy who struck out a few times last year, like having that rematch and you're one year better. He's one year better. Like you guys have to like live and die with that stuff. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think it'll be, I think we definitely play our best baseball against teams that we know um, are going to give us their best too. And I think well, having that high level of competitive baseball, when everything's firing and all cylinders on both sides, it's really fun to be a part of and really fun to watch and compete in, you know, cause uh, those games always end up being tight and uh, we just hope that, and I think we will come out on top. So, Yeah, I think even, you know, you talk about the year difference. That's the beauty of the game is like, you know, Friday night you face a guy, you know, coming out of the bullpen like we do. Um, he may get you that day, but, you know, you could get another chance at him Saturday or Sunday. And, uh, you know, just, yeah, that would go a different way. Alex, did you face your brother last year? I did. Uh, the first time we were actually at UCLA and he was on deck and there was one out. And I got a double play, and it was the end of the game, so that was really funny. But then at home, uh, I ended up facing him, and he flew out to left. So that was yeah, that was exciting. Unfortunately, we do not play UCLA this year. It'd be cool to have them on the schedule, but would have uh, definitely like those ones back for sure. Cody Cody Schreier with the Bruins. Um, let's see, what do I want to leave things with? Uh, let's have a let's do a serious question to finish things off. Uh, what kind of impact has Coach Jackets and Coach Jones had on your baseball careers and your pitching careers? Yeah, I mean, I think for me personally, it's just um, I feel like I was – I thought I knew the game um, coming out of high school, and I thought, you know, 
I, I, you know, I knew the inner workings of it all, but just being here for four years has just opened my eyes to, you know, their knowledge of the game. Um, and I always, you know, try to ask them questions every day and, you know, just try to soak up as much knowledge as I can. Cause you know, being around baseball minds like that. Uh, so, you know, you don't really get that often. Yeah. I think the saying, you know, you don't know what you don't know comes true when you come here for sure. Cause there's so much development and so much to learn from both of them. And uh, I think they do a great job of, Taking those young guys, you know, when you come in, like when I came in as a freshman, looking at myself now, how much I've changed and evolved um, as a pitcher, just in all aspects of the game and all the details and all the small things. And, yeah, I think they do a great job with every guy, um, kind of bringing them through the system and turning them into what uh, Santa Barbara's standard of a pitcher is now. All right, that's Carter Benbrook, left-handed pitcher, Alex Schreier, right-handed pitcher. Look forward to seeing you guys a lot this year on the mound, doing your thing, competing. And uh, thank you so much for your time. You guys did a great job. Uh, pat on the back. Thank you. Appreciate it. And, um, yeah, we'll leave it at that. So, nice work. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Kevin. See ya. All right. Thank you to Coach Checkets. Thank you to Carter Benbrook and Alex Schreier. And thank you to our great sponsor, Kyle's Kitchen. A couple of things to add that were not covered. Uh, Gauchos were picked in the Big West Coaches Poll to win the conference. So both in D1 Baseball Poll and in the Big West Coaches Poll, picked to win the Big West this year. And Brock Mortensen and Mikey Gutierrez picked to the all-conference team uh, by the coaches in the preseason so uh, a couple of accolades there to throw out. Um, all right, you're, if you're listening to this on Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday, the season, 2023 season, starts on Friday in Arizona against the Golden Gophers at the uh, at Surprise Stadium. It's a 5 o'clock start Arizona time, 4 o'clock start in California. I will have the broadcast on UCSBGauchos.com, and then you can watch those games, stream those games, on flowbaseball.tv. I think you might have to sign up or buy a subscription to those, but you can watch those games, all four of those games in surprise uh, for the Gauchos this year on flowbaseball.tv. Or you can listen to me on ucsbgauchos.com. Okay, that'll do it for the podcast. Hope you enjoyed that one. We'll have highlights uh, from the weekend next week. We'll get Donegal Fergus on the pod and any of the uh, pregame interviews that I come up with over the weekend. So should be fun. I'm excited. The team's excited. We're ready to see another team on the other side of the field, of course, as we always are this time of year. Okay. My name is Kevin Cannon signing off. Have a great week. We'll see you in Arizona. <laughs>